you know, individual being hired for their potential. Because at the end of the day, you also want this individual to have a growth opportunity in the role that they're coming into. If if they're going to do the same thing they did all did already in the past, they will get bored pretty fast. So that's why I think the learning aspect is so important. And and sometimes you want to you're very open to take somebody who you know not gonna check all the check all the boxes but then he or she will check the boxes in a year or two but then it will be a growth opportunity for for, for them and they'll be motivated coming every day to work because they're learning something new Hi there, welcome back for another Macademia podcast episode. Myself, Oferizal Balnea and Elena Iskovic get together with fascinating people to explore different ways science and scientific careers can be developed outside of academia. Before we introduce our guest for today, we want to thank you, yeah, you, that join our Macademia group on Facebook, follow our account at Macademia P on Twitter, rated our little project, liked our work, or shared it with a friend or colleague. This, aside from motivating us, support others to join this important conversation as we explore those very different ways of how science is much more than just academia. So, hi, I want to welcome Elena Levit um, here to the podcast. Hi. Hi. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Uh, and offer, of course, hi. Hi. So Elena has a really great experience, all-rounded experience in the biotech. She, um, she has an MSc from Tel Aviv University, and she really worked in a really large variety of uh, positions in the biotech industry, from medical representative to product specialist to project uh, leadership and... Um, Uh, biz development, and I see here also compliance specialist. So really has this uh, great uh, experience that she can share with us, a great opportunity to sort of outline uh, the possibilities for scientists to move into the biotech industry um, as we speak along with Elena and sort of talking about her um, career path. And um, I really hope this will be sort of a, you know, share it all if you're thinking about biotech, You know, listen to this episode. It's going to be very clear to you what kind of positions you can look for when you're making the transition from um, academia. So hi, Lina. Tell us a little bit about more about yourself. Hi. So I've been very passionate about caring for people from pretty young age. I started volunteering in Red Cross when I was 16. I was upon a completion of my military service. I lived in Israel majority of my life. I uh, went to Tel Aviv University studying but majoring in biology, eventually graduating actually with major in biology and a minor in economics. And it was almost 20 years ago in 2003 and I, I was not sure I want to pursue kind of off, uh, gra- to graduate studies and I decided to, to go and work, ending up go being a medical representative in a pharma company. Back then it was Aventis. Now it's the, nowadays it's Sanofi. It's in the top 10 pharmaceutical companies. 
And, but as I started working, I realized I want to actually get more expertise and knowledge in the clinical side. And that's where I ended up going to my master's in medical science. But I oh, I did it in parallel to my routine daily job, which sometimes was challenging. Yeah, I didn't know it's even possible. <laughs> it, it, it's possible if you don't do kind of a real research in a lab. And that's what I did for not to do because I, what I did, I will, I did more of a pharmacoeconomical analysis treatment of hepatitis C uh, of drug uh, users for hepatitis C. That was what my, my work, but it was more modeling, more, more analysis. So I didn't need to be in the lab to do hands-on work. And because I was working full-time, so I didn't, uh, I was not entitled to any scholarship anyway. I just paid tuition. So it was, it's, it's a different route uh, of kind of ga- gaining an, a master's. And I continued to grow my career. I joined it. I worked for Sanofi. Afterwards, I joined a different company called Sharing Plow, which doesn't exist anymore. It's part of Merck and worked in hepatitis C, where, which was totally connected to my master's uh, work. And then I felt I'm not, I want to do more. And I was young. I had a lot of time and I ended up going to a business development position. And it was an interesting transition because that's where we can exemplify how skills can be translated, skills and knowledge can be translated because I didn't have any experience in business development. I had experience in commercialization. I had a sales experience. And this particular role, they they needed somebody who gonna support uh, this startup in uh, CIS previous USSR markets, and they needed somebody who will be fluent in Russian, will be able to work there, and uh, and uh, and I for, was born there, and I had the ability to to do this uh, to do this work. And on top of that, they were very strongly appealed that I actually work on hepatitis C because they had a product in hepatitis B, and they didn't have enough internal knowledge when it comes to working with key opinion leaders in commercialization in the hepatitis space. So so you were you were in charge of market penetration then? I was in charge on, of finding strategic partners in the markets there in order to commercialize the product and we the company uh, company's name is Omrix now it's part of Ethicon Biosurgery and they had two product lines they have fibrin sealants which use an operating theater and they have a, a normal human immunoglobulins and other type of immunoglobulins which they ha- which kind of is its separate product line and uh, those two lines were offered externally to countries outside of Israel and we looked for the, for partners to commercialize. So it's in a really nice transition. So you sort of, you brought your expertise in sort of more medical related, science related um, and sales related, I guess. And then that transitioned into uh, business development. So were they training you on the spot or was it that natural enough that you just jumped into it? I can't, I can't say the problem with a lot of uh, especially small size companies, they don't really think uh, and invest a lot in trainings. You actually anticipate it to come and and know how to do the work. And and there were things I knew. There were things I didn't know. I had a manager who trained me a little bit. I tried to connect with the other individuals who worked in CIS market back then to learn from them, from their expertise and experiences. Uh, But a lot of 
more self-exploring, reading a lot, searching a lot, and not necessarily something that the work provided me as training. And as you look back at sort of in the, um, the many companies you worked since then, is it common for PhDs to come into business development or... Because when I was searching recently for jobs, uh, everything related to business development, usually actually look for MBA uh, experience or business experience. And sort of life science is a sort of a, a good to have, but not a necessity. Um, but maybe that's just when you're, you know, looking from outside. I think it's pretty much diverse because um, nowadays, especially as the therapies are much more advanced and you have cell therapies, gene therapies, the scientific complexity is, is greater. Uh, there are a lot of people at the table and uh, a lot of scientific knowledge is needed. And there are various combinations because there are also scientists who have PhD and MBA. Right. And, and, and uh, that the fact that you don't have an MBA doesn't mean that you can provide the scientific knowledge. And within business development, especially if you look at the big pharma companies, there are different subunits because there will be individuals within business development who've been focusing very on a lot of early research. And then you definitely will have a lot of scientists who really need to understand the early, the, the early research aspects and to see how actually it's in line with what you're trying to accomplish in the end. And there'll be individuals who are going to go and close the deals. And again, here you, you'll, you'll look into more finance people because they really need to understand that the number makes sense, but they not necessarily will know the science. So it's a combination of, of various factors. And that, and uh, and there are different therapeutic areas. In, in many therapeutic areas, there is so much unknown, especially in neurology. So definitely, science—it's will be very much uh, hinged on the science and the work that's being done in animals or in early stages to to see how things may evolve. So let's let's assume I'm a PhD and uh, I'm looking for a job, but more. Basically, I'm looking for what kind of a career I want. So what passions will I uh, find uh, addressed in a sales position versus a biz dev position? Like if, if you catch my drift, like what kind of person do you need to be in order to yeah. get to this or that? Yeah, so I think in general, um, you know, when we all of us are looking what kind of career we would like to explore, we we need to think for ourselves what what kind of day work day we're, we're looking for because some individuals like to interact with a lot of many other people, they like to go to meetings, they like to solve problems, and they would rather not sit in front of their computer all day and write. Mm -hmm. And 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 the, when you are in roles like uh, commercial sales uh, biz dev uh, I'm project I'm a project manager today uh, in these kind of roles it's hinge a lot on those interactions and ability to drive things ability to uh, drive people who are not necessarily also reporting into you so that's that's where um, that's if somebody is more passionate about that it's it's definitely something to consider. But on the other hand, uh, you have roles when you need to write more and well more into the science. And uh, my teams, we have people, for instance, who are clinical scientists who are very strongly connected to the 
clinical trials. They're one who write the protocols. They're ones who interact with, medi- with, with medical personnel who is in charge of the study. And those day and day is more might be more balanced because on one hand they need to read the scientific um, literature and understand what's going on there, address questions from PIs. But on the other, they also need to work with the team to advance the the, the study forward. So it. It might be balanced from this manner. And there on, 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 on third end, you have people who are medical writers and they write medical content, whether for sub- regulatory submission, clinical protocols or articles, and they may spend all day just sitting and writing and they enjoy it. And they it can give them more flexibility and they can work from wh- any location because they're not necessarily have to come to the office. And, and people like this idea, it, each individual and in different phases of our lives, we may choose different paths as well and transition from one thing to another based on our needs and our environment and our family needs. So this is a very important important point that you you touched upon now is, is there is a fear from the outside when you don't know how the organization work, how the the uh, the progression in ranks or in, in position work, that if you are into science, but not you don't want to be a researcher on the bench. So there is a kind of a fear that if you get a sales sales position, you get entrenched in that, and there is no there is no lateral movement. So you say it's not like that. You can do that, learn this, and maybe move to another element later on in the same company or a different company. You don't. It doesn't necessarily define you. This first role out of academia, right? Yes, and I think it it it. It connected to each of the functions. You can look at it at, at this way. You need to kind of enter the company in any role that you're passionate about. Sometimes the, the role you're able to get because some the first role sometimes is not necessarily your dream job. And maybe the second role won't be a dream job. But then within the organization, learn what others are doing and see what you're more passionate about. And from there, you can transition. And and for instance, you mentioned sales. Sales are working very closely with medical affairs. Medical affairs are connected strongly to the science and to the clinical aspects. They They have a lot of people within their function who write content, need to understand the mechanism of action, interact with very leading KOLs, uh, educate, educate payers, uh, educate payers, educate um, educate KOLs, educate nurses, educate internally because that's that's the knowledge on the product internally. It comes from medical affairs, and. Those individuals have the ability and they need to come from the scientific background. And a, lo- and a lot of people start either on the field in medical affairs, because on the field, you can start on the sales position, but you also can start in, in the field position as a MSL. And uh, these individuals are the main contact point, point of contact for the opinion leaders and the doctors who are working and seeing patients today and they took with them on the scientific manners and then you understand better how the company works and you understand what other opportunities you may pursue within the company and maybe move 
within your function in medical affairs to different to other opportunities, whether uh, being more in a strategic role and uh, managing other uh, MSLs or developing content or being uh, um, on the publication side, kind of building publication strategy and overseeing publications coming through or being a medical lead when you actually responsible for certain disease and kind of setting up the stage and strategy for this disease and, and the and and for the molecule that uh, or medical device that kind of in this space, so you you have the opportunities. You need to think, look at things kind of broadly. And the fact that you started with something today doesn't mean you're going to do it for the next ten years. I was just wondering. So you you were doing business development and product man and being a product manager. So what is product manager? Yeah, so product manager, the capacity I've been doing back then, it was more in the commercial side. So it was the owner of kind of the commercial side of the product. And as I mentioned back then, I was, as I had an understanding in hepatitis B, I was a product manager for, he- for the hepatitis B product when it comes to commercialization. Wait, and but, we had- but commercial versus versus what? Like the, so R&D is the pure science and, port, and the project management is taking this into... So... so let me kind of define things a little bit. So uh, project managers within pharmaceutical industry and medical device exist across the whole cycle. It can exist from discovery throughout the clinical trials till the end, because it depends on the scope of what you're trying to accomplish. And then you can slice and dice and make projects. Product manager, it's, it, it's a little bit confusing because in, in tech, for instance, you have a lot of product managers. And uh, in, in pharmaceuticals, it's a little bit different. Many times you have individuals that have the title product manager and they're in commercial and they're actually kind of responsible for the brand. You can call them product managers or brand managers. But on the other hand, you also have very senior individuals with scientific background in development who are responsible for the product from the development side. And those roles are, um, whether MDs, PhDs, PharmDs, those individuals are have a strong scientific background and also a deep understanding of the pharmaceutical development product, pharmaceutical development. And you don't have a lot of those because if you look at big pharma, even how many products they currently have in the market, uh, maybe, I don't know, 15. For each product, you may have one, maybe two. In, in For a product that you have a lot of indications for, maybe you'll have three. So it's it's very, these kind of roles of these development product managers, or you can call them, each company may give a slightly different title to it. Uh, they are very limited, but they're very lucrative because you, you're responsible for strategy of multi-billion dollar brand from development perspective, you and you the main point of contact. I hope I answer your question because yeah, you know that, yeah, because it's my it, there there are different titles, but but for different things. Yeah. But if I, but many people will may call them product managers. To me, to me, usually uh, people answer my question when I have loads of other questions to follow up. So I have a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what you describe as a project manager at least, uh, is, sounds like a very high up the rank position with a lot of responsibility. And you did the analogy to software and software is less than a, po- they call it project manager, but it's actually a feature manager. Each one gets a feature and they meet up at the end, uh, uh, either in a waterfall or agile or, or, or scrum kind of handling of, of the entire product at the end. I understand it can, it 
couldn't work that way in biotech because you, you're in charge of a process, which is kind of linear. Um, but what are the managerial or mid-managerial positions below that? Not a project manager for the entire for the entire brand or for the entire like product that goes in. But is there like a process manager that is in charge of a specific component or how does it work? Yeah. So let me tell you a bit how the team is structured because the teams are large because in order to develop a drug, you need a lot of expertise from different angles. So let's say we take a product that is currently in phase three, which preparing, you know, a big, large trial, which is a registrational trial. And hopefully if it's positive, it's going to, it will be launched. So you have a cross-functional team that is responsible for this particular kind of trial and the asset uh, to be launched. So you'll have this team, the person you I just mentioned to you, kind of the, the product manager or program lead, he's the kind of the CEO of the product. He's the owner of the product. And then you have project manager is the COO. So he kind of, he, she organized the budget, the team, the timelines, and making sure that things are actually running in the in the pace we committed to, like a chief executive officer of of the product, and then you have people who are like, and the project manager is like um, a chief operating officer. So you have the strategy versus the execution, and then you have a team. So whom you, would you have in a team? So you, in the team, you'll have your clinical development, the individuals who are ultimately responsible for the clinical trial. You'll have. Uh, uh, individuals from regulatory affairs, which is, very, is a very, very important function. That's kind of the liaison between the company and any regulatory of, um, agency you interact with. And in order to be part of this function, you actually need to have a lot of scientific knowledge because you, ne- you, re- you, ultimate, you, you need to interact in, a, in clinical and scientific manner with the authorities, write the right documents, understand the science, ability to explain the science in a very ex- simplic, simplest, simplic manner as well. And then additional functions that are at the table at that point are medical affairs, because we are preparing for launch. Ultimately, they own the education piece and, and the building of the field for this product, commercial. And you also will have CMC, the manufacturing. And uh, the, in, in the CMC world, uh, manufacturing, you also will have a lot of people with scientific background because you will have... You'll need somebody who will understand the manufacturing process. You'll need somebody who will be able to understand how you take it from the lab and then you make liters of, of, of this product if it's biologic. In biological world, it's complex. It's expensive. And um, these are these roles, especially nowadays when you have all the cell and gene therapy, are very, very exciting. Additional function that you'll have there, and, and it's something that people it may be easier for them to understand. These are the non-clinical people, people who actually did the early research. Because again, when you go, you all the time, you, you connect your early research to what you find in, um, in the clinical trial. So you have the non-clinical people, translation medicine people who really see, okay, whether the biomarkers, what we actually saw in animals are, uh, that we actually what we are seeing in humans. So it's a, it's a re- it's a relatively large team, and a lot of the people, as you can see, there are coming from scientific background. But just each of them has sl- slightly different angle and bring different expertise uh, to the to the discussion. So, what would project manager would do? So he would sort of speak with all of those 
representatives of, of all of those departments? So generally you have routine meetings when you kind of see, you discuss the, the status of ongoing project. You, you see whether there are any risks, issues that team needs to discuss. Different team members come and different times present different topics. For instance, you had a regulatory meeting and then regulatory affairs will come and say, okay, these are the outcomes of the meetings. We have to have the, the following follow-ups to, to do, or we need, and then the team take it over based on, the, on their expertise, who is working on what, and there might be different kind of sep- separate meetings to discuss that. You discuss your goals you discuss your plans you own the budget so you need to actually discuss if you're in the in the realm of what you committed to and if you're out of the realm you many times need to actually prepare how, and, and prepare your pitch how you go and ask for more mm-hmm. i'm looking for my enter position i'm 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 fairly fitted to uh uh to the uh goal of a, of a company let's say a cell therapy company okay what is a reasonable entry level position and if I'm interested in, in like in a five-year plan, which is a common question in interviews, to be a product lead or project lead at, at the end of this, what is like a reasonable path to draw? Yeah, I think for like project lead, you can enter from different angles. So you can enter from translation medicine. You can enter from uh, clinical development, even for... Okay, also not, not necessary, even sometimes it's easier to enter it from clinical operations, from a um, role that may be more operational within clinical trial, but then you learn more and more. And then when there is an opportunity, you can always transition to a more strategic and development realm and afterwards pivot it to become a project lead. And then again, learn a lot to understand how the drug development process works. And even if you work in early, understand how the happily ever after looks like in the end of the process, because a lot of people don't understand what kind of mindset commercial may have. And and, and these discussions might be sometimes very tough because they're going to say, you have this exciting product, but we don't feel that there is a market for it. <laughs> so, and, and, and understanding where they're coming from as well. And, and it's, it's, and, and, and being part of these cross-functional teams when you have other functions being present, it's easy. Additional function, it might be coming also from the medical affairs side because you can join something like medical information and medical scientific communication as an entry level and then understanding what medical affairs is doing, coming and, and being part of the team on the medical affairs side, because there is a very tight work between what clinical development is doing in medical affairs and medical affairs understand the clinical trials, they understand what needs to be done, they understand the regulatory, uh, regulatory requirements because they're the ones that ultimately afterwards explain the label to the stakeholders external to the company. So that's what these, these passes of, um, of, uh, clinical development, translational, and medical affairs might be relevant. Additional pass is regulatory affairs. A lot of the individuals in regulatory affairs hold scientific degrees, maybe entering into a role within regulatory affairs, which is really entry level, but then finding your way up to, um, to, uh, 
to a program leadership role. Regulatory affairs, especially when you start sitting in those cross-functional teams, it's a very high visibility role. So your ability to be seen and be heard is very high. Uh, the moment you're, you have responsibility on a certain product and you're the focal person on this product. And uh, nowadays, there is significant shortage in regulatory affairs people. And, and that's why also, if, if you're able to, to find, you're willing to learn and able to find your way within a company, your ability to shine relatively fast is high. And there is also an opportunity to do, I don't remember if it's, a, I think it's a certificate. It's not a degree, but it's it's a very, it's it's actually a lot of work to, to, to pursue this certificate. It's called RAC, but it might be of a value. And I know, I know a lot of my colleagues, not necessarily even in regulatory affairs, who have this certificate. And is this something you can uh, do while you're in school yes. or like yes. while you're... You can do it while you in school. It may take a while because uh, it's a, you need to, I think you, you being tested not only on regular. So even if you work in pharmaceuticals, you have certain set of regulations, but you're going to be tested also on medical device and diagnostic regulations. So you need to actually learn all of it and it's all the time changes, but you'll, you'll, you'll develop the mindset of how to look at it and how to approach it. Which which is the most important component, and and uh, it will enable you to understand very well the drug development process because you'll be, you'll look at it from an angle of requirements. Another point you mentioned is high visibility role, and coming from academia, that the thing you're not doing is being highly visible or be, uh, working in a cross sectional uh, 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 team, and getting like interested like. Hey, what are you doing like for your benchmate? How you do this when you have no experience and you don't overshoot or or just miss the entire like entire purpose of this? Yeah, so I think one of the things that you can do really generally you'll be probably part of some sort of cross-functional team. Um uh, and in this cross-functional setting, especially if you come in a certain set of expertise in your in your field, you'll feel comfortable. So present your work that is relevant to the team and be very happy kind of to partner with others to, to work on things that may be not directly in your responsibility, but you can bring on a, of a value. People are always very, also very open to talk about their work. So if you come from a, a place of, a, let's say you talk to a manager and say, I want to shadow a certain individual in a different function and maybe join certain meetings, which are not in my school, but I want to learn more what they're doing. If time bar permits, a lot of the companies will allow that as well. And that it will increase your visibility from this instance. Some companies, especially the big ones, allow rotations to different departments. So you're going to go for, I don't know, for six months, 30% of your time, totally work in a different department. And then um, you can see what's going on there, whether you like it, you're not like it. And sometimes it, people find it as a way to transition to a different department because you already go there, you meet the stakeholders, they, you do work for them and, and they 
and, and if there is a mutual interest, you can find it this way. There are a lot of opportunities also there in many companies, even in the mid-size and small ones, there are a variety of initiatives when people just going and volunteering or, or individuals are part of certain committee and there are various committees. And, and you can join those committees and you may not necessarily will be visible for a specific scientific work, but you'll be visible for other things and you work will connect with other individuals from totally different functions in a different on a different basis, let's say. That's really interesting. I wanted to touch base. We we didn't really sort of talked about actual science positions. So scientists or research associate. Um, so I wanted to ask if you have any input on that. I, I think it's sort of it, a bit similar more to, to academia, but I also wonder how are the transitions from science positions to these sort of more related positions we've talked about? Yeah, so uh, you, you see variety because, uh, you know, in companies that worked in the past, there were a lot. I think a lot of people naturally end up uh, going to the science positions and bench positions. And sometimes it's because they have this expertise. Sometimes they don't really realize what, the, what is the other realm of opportunities. But then when they start interact with others, they may start transitioning to different roles. I have one of the individuals who I know individual who leads MSLs. She originally was in pharmacology. She was a PhD, and that was her first role out of academia, going joining the pharmacology department. But now she ended up being actually in the field supporting medical affairs. People transition to become project managers. A lot of my peers in project management are PhDs. People uh, transition to CMC from, because you, you start maybe as a bench scientist, but then you understand you would rather oversee big scale manufacturing with a, which are external to your company. They transition there. So there are a variety of passes. You have an overlook because you, you take also a volunteering role in, a, in an organization called Into and be happy if you... Uh, want to talk about this as well, but you have an overlook on on two two ecosystems that are dear to our heart: the, the current ecosystem here, the U.S. specifically, Bay Area, and and the one in uh, I guess in Israel. So, could you draw the I don't know if draw the differences it's maybe too big, but what is as of today, twenty twenty one, is most lacking there that you can come here or or get some experience here and bring it back there? Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting question. So first of all, I, I came to the U.S. Uh, six plus years ago. And um, you know, since I didn't work in Israel, I interact obviously with a lot of Israelis. And I'm part of, as, as you mentioned, I'm, part, I'm a co-director of Intro Life Science, which is a volunteering organization here in San Francisco Bay Area. And we do a lot of events uh, in life science space now during COVID. We kind of scaled down, but then we still have the network. We have the LinkedIn group. And now it's not only in the Bay Area. I also have a lot of people outside of the Bay Area because we are virtual. 
I think one of the things, and um, when I came to first time to South San Francisco, and I don't know if people men, uh, notice it, but uh, on uh, one of the main streets, I think that's in the Oyster, uh, what, the one uh, that leads to Oyster Point, I don't remember the exact name. You have a you have a sign, which is actually a very mid-sized sign saying, welcome to South San Francisco, the birthplace of biotechnology. So really this, I, I remember driving it through from the first for the first time and I got very excited because I kind of got the opportunity to be here but not a lot of the people in Israel had this opportunity I think nowadays things are there's a lot of funding and to early development things whether in devices or in pharmaceuticals and there are a lot of growth but that was not the case when I came to the U.S. but I still think there is a lot opportunity to learn in the U.S. how to conduct business, the cultural aspects, how really, what's the realm of opportunities, how you can do things big and large, how big pharma doing things, not necessarily fully translated to what you want to do afterwards in a startup, but, but just understand how the realm of these opportunities looks like. Um, and, and going and working for a few years, maybe in the industry here, and then transition there it might be an interesting opportunity from this perspective we we talk a lot a lot about it of, of sort of what you can learn here to bring there and what you can do there that you can bring here and that's the same to industry and academia um i wonder sort of if you if you think about um academia and industry if you're if you're so we, we talked a little bit about uh learning about um the regulatory aspect uh, in advance before you you make the actual transitions uh, transition. Are there other things you can do uh, in order to make yourself more prepared uh, for the transition to be more sort of lucrative for maybe not you know completely entry position but sort of a, a bit higher? Yeah, I had an interesting opportunity to chat with somebody recently. He he was. PhD student who came outside of the U.S. again his PhD here. He stayed at the university. He did his PhD. Uh, after his PhD, he uh, more in the project management capacity, and and he started talking to me about his career, and and uh, he said, you know, I understood I'll have to manage budgets, and I, in certain point, decided to pursue, and I did MBA after my PhD. And, and then I said, I also understood that I'll have responsibility on IRBs and if for the clinical protocols. And that's where I went and studied about clinical trials in order to kind of have a deeper knowledge. And, and here it's, it's, it's in our hands to decide what we would like to really to learn on top. Learning about clinical trials, there are so many courses, whether in, you know, you can do it in Coursera, but you can also go and do some, some things in person and pursuing PMP, the project management certificate. It's also feasible and you need to show experience in project management. But when you start looking, a lot of the things you do in the lab, you can define it well as projects. And then your experience during PhD will maybe sufficient in order to to fulfill the requirements in order to do the, the test and study for the test you can do by yourself. There is also literature. And it's and something that is sort of, they look for for the, the certificate, the PMP certificate? A lot of the project managers, some project managers have it, some project managers don't have it. I have it. 
but but it's uh, each individual decide for themselves. But then uh, you can, this way you can show that you're willing to go an extra mile. You you already went and studied for it, so you you have some you understand the terminology. And uh, yes, maybe you don't have the, the gamut of all the practical experience, but at least you made already a first step and a second step in order to pursue uh, this career. And in general, PMP certificate is something that you can study by yourself and do the test. It's mm-hmm. not like for, for what I mentioned for the regulatory certificate, you likely will have to take a course or two or maybe three and read a few very large books. Mm-hmm. And it will, will it will take a while for PMP certificate. You can do it re- relatively fast. You also touched upon um, sort of translating your science uh, experience to projects and sort of showing that experience that you have in academia working as a PhD student or as a postdoc is already relevant. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that? How would you translate um, sort of academic experience for, um, for roles in, in the industry? Yeah. Yeah. How you like portray it, I guess, in your CV. Yeah. So I think, Putting out things there, if you, let's say you work on specific tumor type or disease, really emphasize that because again, maybe you'll end up going in a role when knowledge of this disease is important and you already have it. And maybe it's several diseases, several therapeutic areas. And you worked in the lab, but you were responsible to budget, even showcase it by saying, I planned the budget. I worked on this budget and I I, I finished it in the budget. I didn't over overspend or or I realized cost savings. This kind of thing because in industry, at the end of the day, you you need you, you have very strict timelines and you have strict budget and you'll have to show that you are delivering in the in in this realm. So and, and the same for timelines. And, you know, if you're able to deliver things you know faster. Then and then again, uh, all your experiences of presenting externally, and and you know that many roles will require to come and pre- and give a presentation, and and people look at it and how you able to present and what's your executive presence, and and that's also connects to your ability to hold various various roles because for certain roles, you'll be more visible. The more you're visible, you you need to have the ability to speak in public and speak in large audiences and explain ideas in a simplistic manner. So we are describing uh, all kinds of roles in in a hypothetical, uh, very generic biotech company, but there are different elements. So if you're going towards medical device or biopharmaceuticals or even I don't know, food tech, which is very hot, or or Canatech, which is also very hot right now. I have two questions. First, would should I decide before I go into a specific sector that this is the way, this is where I want to go? Uh, and the second is um, how different is like the those like project manager, for example, roles in between um uh, yeah. So interesting that you mentioned that because I, you know, I, I spent majority of my career working, working for Ethicon Biosurgery. Ethicon Biosurgery is part of medical device division of J&J, but I ended up being there because we actually manufactured biologics and we created combination products, which were device and biologics together. I think for project managers um, in general, 
Um, the pharmaceutical realm is a little bit more complex because the trials are lengthier and more expensive. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, it, it might be, it might be slightly more complex from this realm in pharmaceuticals. On the other hand, in medical device, a lot, some of the project managers are engineers by training because sometimes you actually need to understand design and they look for people who understand more of the engineering aspects. And for me, it was also in certain point, I was part of, J&J, I did things more on the biological side, but I fully st started fully realizing that to be a real medical device project manager, it might be a little bit challenging because I don't have all this engineering background and I didn't envision myself pursuing now and, and doing an engineering degree. So that's something to bear in mind. And it might pot potentially apply also to um, diagnostics, but again, it's it's very much depends on on the realm of things you're doing. One of the things also to bear in mind that regulations are obviously different for devices than for biologics and, and small molecules. So you need to understand the regulations of the quality aspects and design control when you talk about project management and medical devices. So I'm going into food tech because I like to eat. <laughs> I can be a great product manager for food tech. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, making any comments on kind of tech. I'm not li uh, liable for this. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. That's um, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of all the sort of just the positions what you mentioned. That's uh, that's really a, a lot. So it, this is all in in big companies, right? Does it look similarly to sort of small startups or or you know sort of the moment you hit uh, hit regulations, you're sort of acquired by by a big company. So when it comes to small size companies, obviously if the company is in the early stage, you won't have the you know big commercial organization or medical affairs organization. You'll have maybe one or two individuals who are very seasoned and there won't not necessarily will be opportunities there. But any company that's looking to go to clinic, you'll start building the clinical. Uh, development, clinical operations, safety. So those functions will uh, will start appearing more and more. Translational science. So even if you're a small company, eventually you'll have to have those functions. It just not, sometimes they're not in house. And one of the things we didn't men we did not mention as a professional career opportunity, and it's worth mentioning, is going to work for CRO companies or consulting companies. Because sometimes those might be a good entry point in general, understanding what's going on in the industry. And then those uh, companies always looking for talent. And uh, they also know probably in the back of their head, and not everybody going to stay there forever, but they're willing to train and they're willing to expose individuals to work with various clients. And then you learn a lot through those consulting experiences. Yeah, we just had uh, an interview with uh, Adila V, who took a position at um, at uh, Riffin, and and he provides uh, uh, software solutions for uh, going or going organizations. And it's exactly that he mentioned exactly that it allows him to see what's out there and get high visibility outside of the company as well, and learn a lot, a lot, a lot on that. And we really uh, uh, also. Uh, recommend hearing the uh, interview with Adi. Yeah. Yeah. My first role in the U.S. was actually consulting because I, I joined a consulting firm when I came to the U.S. Though I had a very good experience from Israel, but 
I, I probably sent in the realm of 50 CVs and barely individuals, I, I, I got barely responded, you know, barely got responses, but then uh, the consulting uh, company actually hired me pretty pretty fast and I got a very exciting role consulting with one of the clients here in the Bay Area. So today when you hire people uh, fresh of academia, what makes a CV pop? What, uh, aside from just the bare, um, uh, um, the bare fit with the role requirement, what does this, what makes a CV pop? Yeah. So majority individuals that I hire, uh, whether I'm hiring them directly or maybe they'll be part of my cross-functional team. And for me, it's important, actually, the soft skill aspect. So that they will work um, well with others and will be integral part of the team. So I will look in the CV to those aspects of how they what they did, did as a teamwork and what they kind of hints to how they interact with others. That, that's very helpful. So try to intertwine like uh, uh, team responsibility, interoperability within like projects that you've done and not just like I studied protein X for last five years and I know the mechanism, but I also took other people from other lab and make them into a consortium within in order to solve a problem or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, kind of volunteering experience might be interested and all of us volunteer, you know, we volunteer not necessarily at, at, at work. We also volunteer at school and other places. And you see, you know, volunteering experience that may have cross-functional manner and interaction with others, it's also appealing because you also see that the individual is willing to do more than just kind of going to work every day and spending time with his or her family. Like making a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think we, we need to wrap up due to time, but this was so interesting. There's so many opportunities. And, and I think what I take most from what you've said is that it's so fluid. Like you can start at one place where you have some kind of an advantage and then you can move to a different place. And, and it's also seems like it's acceptable to learn. Like you don't have to bring everything with you. Uh, you, lo- you learn a lot along the way and it's sort of um, acceptable that, that you're learning and, and people accept it as, as you go. And it's, it, it's great. It's a, it's a learning curve. And I think for, for us scientists, that, that's the main thing, right? Yeah. Is to sort of keep learning and keep, in, keep innovating and keep sort of doing interesting things. Um, it's, it's so funny because we are, Lena, Lena, we're doing this for a year now and we're so, we got so uh, connected that I actually wrote the same lesson. So we're not defined by our first step outside of academia, but rather by the path where we, we draw ourselves. And this is like a very big take home lesson that I think everyone can hear and hear again the, the, the talk today and hear you, Elena, about this, uh, talking about how you can transition, how you can make yourself visible uh, and, and learn new skills while on the job. Yeah. And just kind of mentioning, mentioning additional final comment about uh, hiring, you know, individual being hired for their potential. Because at the end of the day, you also want for this individual to have a growth opportunity in the role that they're coming into. If if they're going to do the same thing they did all did already in the past, they will, will get bored pretty fast. So that's why I think the learning aspect is so important. And and sometimes you want to 
you're very open to take somebody who you know not going to check all the uh, check all the boxes but then he or she will check the boxes in a year or two but then it will be a growth opportunity for for, for them and they'll be motivated coming every day to work because they're learning something new get them when they're young <laughs> Thank you so much, Elena, for your time. Thank It's you really, so, really so useful. Much. Yeah.